Good morning, church. Please take your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 10. And we'll be reading in verse 6 in just a moment. Judges 10, verse 6. Everybody stayed cool this week? How many of you are cold right now? That's nearly unanimous. We're not. The title of this morning's message is Pleasing or Grieving. Pleasing or Grieving. For the last nearly two months now, we've been studying through the book of Judges, something we do annually in June and July. We take a book of the Bible. We have studied through the text, and of course, a book as long as Judges. We can't do it all in nine weeks, but we have Bible study groups meeting during the week, and each week they have taken uh, the message as a foundation and have discussed the text and gone deeper in terms of what God was saying to them. So today is message number eight, and next week we'll be wrapping up this particular study of why we seek him, taken from the book of Judges. If you found Judges chapter 10, I want to call your attention to verse 6. Would you follow along as I read down to verse 10? Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. From that year they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. You'll remember that some of the tribes didn't settle on the west side of the Jordan towards the Mediterranean Sea. Some settled east of the Jordan. And that's what's being described here, that, that these tribes, the children of Israel based on that east side in, the, in Gilead were being harassed. But that's not all. It says, moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan, moving to the west, to fight against Judah, also against Benjamin, and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, we have sinned against you, because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. Pray with me. Father, I'm thankful today that you have a word for us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that part of your mission is to take that word and, and communicate it to us. And Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to be a part of that process. But Lord, if all that happens here this morning is that your people hear my voice, we will have absolutely wasted our time. And so we ask that every individual would hear your voice. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2005, there's a man that's written several different books. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Blink. 
Blink. The subtitle of the book, Blink, was this, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking. Now think about that. Blink, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking. And it's an interesting book. I'm not recommending it. I just am fascinated by that subtitle, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking. Right now I would tell you that I don't believe that that's much of a power. In fact, I believe it's a problem that too much of the time you and I make blank decisions. We get ready to make a purchase, blank, we, we did it. We get ready to make a decision what I'm going to do with a certain part of my life, blank, we made the decision. And we go through our days that way. We make all kinds of blank decisions on a daily basis. What I'm going to do at this time of day, what I'm going to do this part of the morning, uh, what I'm going to say in this particular conversation, I'm talking to someone already thinking about blank, 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 what I'm going to say next. And, and as you and I go through making blank decisions, there are oftentimes we make a very difficult and sad discovery is that many times our blank decisions put us into a hole and create problems for us and difficulties for us. The people in the book of Judges were making blank decisions. They were the kind of people when things were going well, blink, blink, blink. They just did what they wanted to do. They served whatever gods they wanted to do. They, they settled into the culture that they were surrounded with, blink, 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 doing what they wanted. Uh, later on in the book of Judges, it said each man did what was right in his own eyes. Blink, blink, blink. And you and I get in trouble like that because we've made a whole series of decisions. We've not prayed about it or thought about it or wondered what God's Word said about it. We just make decisions, blink, blink, blink. And then we get in trouble. You with me so far? And we turn to God and we say, oh God, don't you love me? Don't you care about me? Where are you when I need you? I'm not pleased with you, God. And all the while, we're in that circumstance because we've made decisions, blink, 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 without thinking. I want to talk to you this morning about this question, are you pleasing or grieving the Lord with your life? Because that's a real question, isn't it? It's not a question of whether or not the Lord is pleasing to me. It's the real question is whether or not I'm pleasing to the Lord. The real question, even as a church, is not whether the, the worship service or the Sunday school or the pastors please me. The real question is, am I pleasing to the Lord? Am I pleasing to the Lord in what I say, what I do, how I act, and the decisions that I make? Have I, have I surrendered those decisions to the Lord? Am I following Him? And so, we're going to discover this morning that the way I listen to God affects the way that he listens to me. How does the way I listen to God affect my relationship to God? There are two responses I want us to look at today. The first one is this. I can grieve him. I can grieve him. I can grieve him by the way I, I, I don't listen to him. If you pick up where we stopped, we stopped at verse 10. Look at verse 11. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines? Also, the Sidonians and the Malachites and Mayanites oppressed you. And so remember that pressure that God brings from the outside when we're not listening? 
He brings that pressure on and it affects the inner life. It says, and you cried out to me. They oppressed you, but you cried out to me. Their inner life was affected. And I delivered you from their hand. So God's reminding them, look, I I have answered your prayers. I have heard your cry. I have come to you again and again and again and again and again. And then he says in verse 13, yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, what does he say? I will deliver you no more. Has it ever occurred to you that God has a limit? That God draws a line in your life, in my life, and says, I've done it for you again and again and again. You've cried out for me. You've done the things that weren't right, and I brought the pressure in your life, and you cried out to me, and I delivered you again and again and again. And he says, yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. And then he says, go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Keep on living the way you've been living. Keep on making the choices that you've been making. See how that works for you. As we've studied this book of Judges, we've seen how the first generation heard God's word. They were not the generation that had come out of Egypt, that had balked at entering the promised land, that didn't believe that God could could get them in safely, they had stepped back and they lost the greatest opportunity of their earthly life, which was to experience the promised land. They stepped back. And so what did God do with them? You remember? He let them go in the wilderness. And that whole generation fell in the wilderness, having lost the greatest moment, a defining moment of their life because they refused to trust God. The next generation comes up. This generation comes up. They're going to do it. They're going to go all the way. They're following Joshua. They're going to enter into the promised land. And God said, you're to take these people who, for over 400 years, these Amorites, all their gods, they have committed incredible crimes against humanity. They have killed thousands of children. They've created and, and done unspeakable sexual acts of perversion. Everything you can imagine. I want these people, I want you to drive them out. Don't leave anyone in your town. Don't leave them in the land. They've got to go. Every one of them has to go. And we saw in chapter 1 how that generation that should have known better, they, they left some of the people in the land. You remember? They left them. And not only did they leave them there, in many instances they settled down to live among them. And then they didn't just settle down and live among them and do business with them and form contracts with them and and have life with them, but they began to marry their children. And and in the process of the children marrying, they they were united uh, spiritually with the gods that were supposed to be destroyed and pulled down and torn. And so this began a a process that we've been reading for several weeks now, how how God would, would go into this cycle where we would see in Scripture how God see, would see what was happening in their heart. And God knows what's in our heart. He knows how we're going around, living our life, blink, 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 blink. He knows that. He sees the heart. And then the next step in the cycle is that God sends pressure. He allows pressure. And judges, that pressure took the form of an oppressive enemy. And that, that oppressive enemy would come and life would become miserable for them. 
And there were different alarms that were going off, and we've studied this, how there was a broken fellowship with God. That should have been the first alarm. I'm not hearing from God, not talking to God, not walking with God. That should have been the first alarm that there was an issue. But then, but then there was the alarm of these disturbing losses that were taking place. And God's bringing the pressure. And no matter how hard I work, I can't get ahead. And I keep falling behind and falling behind and falling behind, falling behind. God's trying to get their attention. And then it finally just absolutely becomes unbearable. The intensity of the pressure that God allows into their life just becomes unbearable. And so God brings the pressure. We see it even in this text. It says, the anger of the Lord was hot. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines. He sold them into the hands of the Amorites. What does that mean? It means, I'm not going to own you anymore. I'm going to let these people own you and see how you like that. You want to worship their gods? I'm just going to let them have you for a while. And he sold them. The next thing that happens is that when God sends the pressure, he stands back and he waits. He waits. He waits. And it doesn't matter what's happening to the people of God at that point. He waits until they turn and they cry out to him. And until they cry out to him, it continues. For some, we saw that was six years, seven years. In this case, it's 18 years. And the pressure comes and the pressure comes and the pressure comes. And finally, they begin to cry out to him. And he waits for that. And the last part of the process is that God God delivers them from the enemy to himself from the enemy to himself and then there comes this period of peace and a respite from that pressure now during that time of peace what do you imagine was supposed to be taking place what do you imagine was supposed to happen during the 18 years uh, before the 18 years uh, there were two judges Tola and Jair uh, 45 years, and then there was before that the peace of Gideon, 40 years. What were they supposed to do for those 85 years of peace? And what we saw instead of pleasing the Lord, they were grieving the Lord in that cycle. So God is taking this group through this cycle, a group of tribes on on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan, and, and the enemy is attacking them and attacking the other tribes on the western side of the Jordan. But now something is very different. We're seeing something happen for the very first time in this book. God is not going to deliver them, he says. He's not listening to their cry. He says, enough is enough. You have cried out to me again and again and again, and it was not sincere, it was not real. I answered your cry, and rather than follow me, rather than listen to me, rather than seek to please me, you have chosen to continue to grieve me. So he says, I'm not going to listen. Now, why is that? Because their repentance wasn't real. It was superficial. Yeah, anybody will turn to a solution when you're going to make the pain stop, won't you? If it hurts bad enough, I'm certainly going to ask somebody to help me make it stop. The repentance was superficial. When things are going badly, you and I, all of us, we want to be able to pray, and, and we want God's full attention. And things may be going badly because I have ignored or been distracted from or whatever the reason is, I have not paid attention to the Lord. Things may go badly, and as I go through that experience, I cry out to God, and I expect Him to respond immediately. But things are different when the heart of God has been grieved. There is a difference This is not an ordinary situation. Even in the book of Judges, this is extraordinary. That God would back up and say, now wait. Enough is enough. So I want us to talk for a moment about God's heart. 
So many times you and I are concerned with his hands. What can God give me? I want us to shift our focus for a few moments to God's heart. The first time we see this matter of God being greed, we see it in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. This is the passage that occurs just before the great flood that you read about in the book of Genesis. And in this it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, does that describe someone who's listening to God? This is not hard. Are we awake? Does this describe someone who's listening to God? No. No, it doesn't describe someone who's listening. It's someone whose heart is set on doing exactly what God doesn't want them to do. Not only are they not seeking God, not consulting with God, but they are all about doing just about everything imaginable that would be offensive to, to who God is. They don't care about his heart. They don't care about what he thinks. They don't care about the consequences of their actions on the heart of God. And listen to what he says. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was what? Grieved in his heart. Now, I don't want to dwell on this, but if you dig deeply into this topic, there are some theologians out there that, that believe that God is impassable. And that, that 25 cent word simply means that God is, in the, in the most extreme cases, they believe he is, he's almost void of emotion. He's like a rock with no feelings. Uh, in, in lesser forms of that point of view, they believe, yeah, God has emotions, but his emotions are, are so controlled, so buried beneath his intellect, so buried between, underneath his will that, that we can't even relate to those kind of emotions because our emotions are passions and we just run amok with our passions and our feelings. Listen, you are made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. And God made you with feelings. Is it beyond the scope of your imagination to think that God doesn't also have feelings? That God can be hurt? That God can be wounded or grieved by things we do and say? It certainly was true in this generation. And, um, and so God sends the flood, and he's, he truly does start over. Now, here's a question. Can a, can a Christian grieve the Lord? Can a Christian grieve the Lord? Surely those people in the Old Testament, they got the flood. They deserve that. They were grieving the Lord. But can a Christian grieve the Lord? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, the apostle Paul's writing. He's writing to us, those of us that know Jesus. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. That means it should build people up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. All right? Got the picture? He says, don't let something out unless it's something that's going to build somebody up, and the thing that builds people up is a word of grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is something, we can define it different ways. God riches, God's riches at Christ's expense, we use those kinds of definitions. Let me just give you a real simple one. Grace is something I don't deserve. Something that, that I surely don't deserve. And, and so he says, let your words be imparting grace to people. They may have mistreated you. They may have said terrible things about you. They may have been ugly to you or someone that you care about. He says, when you speak to them, let your words impart grace to them. What does that mean? You speak to them in a way they don't deserve it, but you speak to them in a way that builds them up. Builds them up. Look at what he says next. This is the telling thing. 
He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away with you with all malice. And, in contrast to that, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. I want to be a part of a church like that, don't you? If that's pleasing to God, I want to please the Lord. How many of y'all want to please the Lord? That was lackluster. How many of y'all want to please the Lord? Amen. I want to be a part of a church like that where we think about what we say before we say it, not how to think without thinking, blink, blink, blink. You know, I just say whatever's on my mind. I want to be a part of a church where I've considered what I'm saying. And before I speak, I have brought it to the Lord. And I know with certainty that what I'm saying pleases Him because the Holy Spirit is leading me to speak. He is prompting me to speak. I'm not just saying the first thing that comes to my head. i got a lot of things that come to my head I don't say. But it grieves the Spirit if I just let that stuff fall out. Some of you may make excuses for your behavior and the words that you say. You say, well, that's just the way I am. No, it's not. No, it's not. I don't know if you've realized it or not, but we're in a Christian church. And the nature of the gospel is all about change. And whatever you are right now, you're not supposed to be five years from now and ten years from now. If that's just the way you are, friend, something's missing in your life. The Holy Spirit of God does not come into your life to leave you the way you are. He comes in to change us. You're a new creature in Christ. That's not just the way you are. Don't believe that. So we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Lord. And this grieving of the Holy Spirit, I believe, very simply comes from, from not listening to the Holy Spirit. Not even taking the time to listen, to consider the possibility that He has something to say to me that I can hear and I can comprehend and that I can be obedient to. And, and so we've seen these examples, the speaking without thinking or submitting it to the Lord and um, bad attitudes like bitterness. Now, what can I do if I believe I have grieved the Lord? I'm telling you that what's happening here in Judges is very different than the other stories. This is where I have come to God again and again. Maybe you made promises to the Lord. Oh God, if you get me out of this situation, I promise you I will do blank. And you've made promises to God and you haven't kept them. That's serious. You come to the Lord and you said, oh God, if you'll just get me out of this crack, if you get me out of this situation that I've created, I know it's my fault, I've sinned, I was wrong, I've made a mistake, oh God, deliver me, and he delivered you. And you find yourself in this situation where now as you look back over the course of your life, you have not done this just once, you have done this multiple times, and now you fear that you are in the very same position as these people and judges, I think I have grieved the Lord. Now what do you do if you find yourself in that position? where you believe that you have grieved the Lord. I want you to understand that the problem is not just with your sin. In other words, like these people did, just coming to the Lord and confessing your sin is not taking care of the problem. The problem is not the sin, that's a symptom. The problem is the way that you're living. It's the way that you are living, the approach to life that you're using. And something needs to change. 
uh, one of the problems that they were having uh, in this day and time and later on in, um, in the Old Testament with the prophets is that when the nation would be threatened by an enemy, a more powerful enemy with greater military strength and strategy and so forth, they would go run to some neighboring nation and try to cut a deal and say, we'll give you all the treasury in the temple or whatever if you will come and rescue us and save us. And so they would run and make deals. I want you to listen in Isaiah. Now just listen. Isaiah 30, verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, listen to the Lord's heart, who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and the trust in the shadow of Egypt. Next chapter, chapter 31 of Isaiah. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are strong, who do not look to the Holy One of Israel. Are you getting the picture? You see, there's one way of life where where, you know, I trust the Lord and I've been saved and I thank God for that and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Now, the rest of my life, I just do the best I can. I try to be a good Christian person. You hear that expression? Be a good Christian person. And I try to live morally uh, not so bad, you know. I, I'm just human. And the whole approach to life that's reflected in those kinds of statements is that I can do this on my own and I don't need God to help me. And when I get in trouble, I will run to the bank, I will run to someone else to help me, I will run to everyone and anyone except turn to God. Now in contrast to that, I want you to, to uh, call your attention to the screen to a very familiar passage of scripture for many of you, Isaiah 40, verse 27. Isaiah 40, verse 27. Uh, Remember, the context of this is Isaiah is talking to people who, every time they're in trouble, run everywhere else except to God, okay? They have grieved the Lord. Listen to this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by God? You know what's happening? God's not listening. Why isn't he listening? That's what they're asking. Why isn't he listening to me? I'm in trouble. I need help. This is not right what's happening to me. I'm a child of God. He should be doing something to help me. The problem is this. Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. Here's the problem, he says, dear ones. You don't know your God. He's not forgotten you. He's heard every word you said. He's also seen everything you've done. His understanding is unsearchable. He goes on and he says that the help you're looking for only comes from him. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Now this is in contrast to people who try to do everything on their own. Get my own way through life. Uh, they always come to the end of their resources. He says, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. And he's saying, nation of the people of God, this is where you are. You don't know your God. You're at the end of your rope. God's allowed the pressure to come in on you. And you're wondering, why isn't God answering your prayer? 
And you've grieved him, he's saying to the nation. You've grieved him. If you knew who you were talking to, everything would change. He's the source of strength. He's the source of power. He's the answer to whatever problem you're facing. Jesus Christ is sufficient for everything you encounter. Everything. So what do I do if I think I've grieved the Lord? Verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Just because you're desperate doesn't mean anything's going to change in life, does it? Desperation, I've seen a lot of people in my life. I used to think desperation was the key to change. I've seen a lot of desperate people who've never changed. Desperation, however, can lead to transformation. If I, if I discover what this text just tells me, that when I realize I'm in this place, that I can turn to the Lord and I need to wait on him. I need to wait on him. God, if anyone's going to save me, it's going to be you. No one else is going to help me. You're all I got. You're all I need. And I'm going to wait on you. And that word wait means with expectation, with eager expectation, looking nowhere else, wanting that one thing, that one person to come, waiting on him. So if you think that you have grieved the Lord today, let me encourage you. Wait on the Lord. So how, how does the way I listen to God affect my relationship? Well, if I don't listen, I can grieve him. But secondly, I can please him. The way I listen to the Lord can please him. Look at verse 15. This is a negative example. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Is that a confession? Sounds like it. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Is that submission? Sounds like it. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and serve the Lord. Is that devotion? Sounds like it. Confession? Submission? Devotion? <laughs> but look, and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. It wasn't their confession that moved God, their submission that moved God, their devotion that moved God. It was their misery, their miserable condition. They, they, God knew what was coming. If you keep reading in Judges, I hope you have been reading ahead, you'll just see the situation gets worse and worse and worse and worse. This generation is not going to raise up a godly generation after them. The Lord knows that. So the question really becomes, can I please him? How do I do that? You remember what happened when John the Baptist baptized Jesus Christ? You remember when Jesus was coming out of the water? The words that John heard from heaven? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well pleased. We know Jesus Christ pleases the Father. Uh, he comes, he dies on the cross for us, but so much more than that, he shows us what life looks like, the way God intended, the kind of relationship he wants us to have with him. So, so can I... Do I have to please the Lord? If the Son pleased the Father, does that mean I have to please the Father? Should I make any attempt? Should it be of even a concern on my radar screen? In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul's writing to a group of Christians that he has never met. Listen to what he says. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Now he lists several things, but look at this prayer request. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully 
pleasing him. How do you believe the Lord wants you to walk today? How do you think he wants you to walk tomorrow? Or Tuesday? Or Wednesday? Paul says, I'm praying, dear ones, that you would have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. How can I do that? Remember, Jesus pleased the Lord, so he's our model. He's our example. And by the way, what is the Father doing in your life spiritually? What is his goal? Well, his goal, according to Romans 8, is that he wants to conform you and me to the image of his Son. So if I want to know where God is taking me, all I have to do is look at Jesus. If I want to understand where God is taking me, what he wants to do and accomplish in my life, all I got to do is look at Jesus. In John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus says, I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. I always do those things that please him. How do I please the Father? I do the things that please him. So Paul's praying that these dear ones would have a walk worthy of the Lord, meaning like the Lord, fully pleasing to him, that I would do things that God wants me to do, say things that God wants me to say. No more blink, 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 blink. Thinking without thinking. Bringing things to him. Asking him. Inquiring of him. If Jesus had to live that way, fully dependent on the Father, what makes me think that the life he has out for me is different? That I can do it in the flesh. Now this life, at first thought, you think, well, Pastor, you just loaded us up. You just loaded all those rules back on us. You just loaded us up with a bunch of do's and don'ts. And you're putting all this legalism on us. Hey, the answer, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So whatever we're describing here, the life that Jesus models for you and me, is not the harder way to live. Dear one, it's the easier way to live. I think one of the hardest things for a Christian to learn is how easy it is to walk with Jesus. So how can I live a life that fully pleases him? Um, when I ask this question, we're... Coming in for a landing. Preachers always say that. but I had a bunch of scripture. I was thinking that how can, I, how can I take something that's supposed to be simple and make it simple and then give you all these scriptures? I thought, no, 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 no. Let me just talk to you, okay? Let me talk to you as a, as a brother in Christ who has sought to understand a walk with Jesus this fall 39 years. What does it mean to to walk with him, to please him with my life? Let me give you three statements. Then we're going to close. First, I need to receive him by faith. I need to receive him by faith. Say, well, pastor, I'm already saved. That's not very helpful. I didn't say that you needed to be saved. Now, you do need to be saved. Um, That's absolutely critical. You need to come to a place. You realize that you're a sinner, that you can't... Wash your sins away on your own, that, that I need Jesus. I need 
his sacrifice for me on the cross. You need to be saved. But look at the statement again. I need to receive him by faith. Now, there's another, another way of understanding receiving someone as welcoming, as welcoming. Now, this week I had for a couple of days a rare moment where all six of my kids and my grandson, only one missing was my daughter-in-law, at the house at the same time. Wonderfully, gloriously noisy and busy. All six, plus the grandson. It got quiet just when he left. Now, what if they came, and when they arrived, what I did was stand at the front door. I said, here's a key to the house. Pick a bedroom. In the refrigerator, you'll find a hot dog and some Coke. Have a great time. And I just left. They came into the house, but we wouldn't have had much fellowship or, or conversation or interaction, would we? How do you think they would have felt if I treated them that way? Sometimes I believe that, that our walk with God is like that. We have trusted Jesus Christ to save us. We've said, come into my life, Lord. Make yourself at home. Thank you for saving me, and I'm glad I'm going to heaven. But now I'm going to live the rest of my life the best I can. And we don't understand that we just made life exponentially harder for ourselves when he came into our life to make it easier for us. So that we might understand how to please the Lord. He is there to tell us. So that I might do the things that please the Lord. He is there to strengthen us. The judges, people in the period of the judges, they were not welcoming the Lord. Oh yeah, he's there on the shelf with all the other gods. But they thought had welcomed him. They didn't have a relationship with him. They weren't having fellowship with him. They didn't give a rip about his heart. So if I'm going to live a life that pleases him, I've got to get back to the relationship. The whole reason that Jesus died on the cross was not so that I could go to church and then someday go to heaven. Jesus died on the cross that I might know him. Secondly, I need to believe that he is deeply concerned about every aspect of my life and that he has a will for me. I think one of the reasons we don't bring things to the Lord is we think he doesn't care. He cares about everything in your life. There's no aspect of your life he is disinterested in. There's nothing going on right now in your life that he's not aware of, that takes him by surprise, that he's not there to speak to you about, that he has thoughts about, that he is there for you. Jesus was the one that said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I just don't think we believe that. I don't believe that we have really internalized that and, and started off tomorrow, Monday, and said, you know, today I can't get through this day without Jesus. I can't please the Lord without Jesus. I need him. It's really interesting to me. I, increasingly, I'm becoming convinced that God's chosen people, the purpose of this entire exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of that, was so that through the chosen people, God could show the whole world who he is first and the kind of relationship that he wants to have with every human being. Let me give you one example. 
Numbers chapter 9. Don't need to turn there. You'll know what I'm talking about. Numbers 9. One of the things that happened when the people of God came out of Egypt is that God, after they created a tabernacle during the daytime, there was a pillar of cloud that represented the presence of God that was on that tabernacle which sat in the very middle of the camp, all two million people. And at night, that pillar of cloud became a what? A pillar of fire. And it represented the presence of God among his people, which is what he wanted. He wanted to walk among his people. I, they will be my people. I will be their God. Now, here's the thing I want you to see, how God was using his people to show the entire world for all time what I want in a relationship with my people. When, when they got up, it could happen in the middle of the night. It could happen in the middle of the day. It could happen in the morning. It could happen at supper time. That pillar of cloud in the daytime would begin to move. Or at night, that pillar of fire would begin to move. Guess what they did? What did they do? They moved. Did they initiate that? No. Was that their call when they moved, when they didn't move? No. He was leading them. He was leading them. And if they didn't move, if the pillar of cloud didn't move, the fire didn't move, they stayed right where they were. And this went on for 40 years. He led his people through the wilderness. Sometimes they would stay in one place for a few days or a few weeks or, or even a year or more. But once it began to move, they moved. I need to believe that he's deeply concerned about every aspect of my life. That he has a will for me. That he has a plan for me. We know it from the scripture. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, under good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. Blink, 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 and we miss it. Stop and say, dear God, I'm not going to move until you show me the steps I need to take. And then number three, I need to believe that when I surrender to him, he will empower me to do his will. When I surrender, he will empower me to do his will. I don't need to worry about where the strength will come from. I didn't need to worry about where the power or the money or the resources or the talents or the abilities are going to come from. I just surrender to him. He takes care of the rest, the guidance. You know what that means? That means whatever burden you're carrying right now, you're not supposed to be carrying that. If he is in charge, I surrender to him not only the control of my life, but also the trouble, the burdens, the problems, the pressures, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. He, he gets it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I just surrender. And that's what he calls you to do, dear one. You say, well, pastor, I just don't know if God spoke to me. I would know that he spoke. Or pastor, I have messed up so bad in my life, I have, I have called on him, and he has helped me, and then I've just turned my back on him so many times, I, I just don't know that he would listen to me now. It's just too late for me. I want to read one final passage of scripture, and then we're going to move into our time of response. Would you listen? I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, and this is God's word to you. This is God's word to you. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. He's waiting. 
and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. And at that moment, at the sound of your cry, it says when he hears it, he will answer you. You say, I'm not sure that I would know when God speaks to me. I'm not sure that I'm spiritual enough to hear God. Dear one, you wait on God. He will speak to you and make himself known. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity, they were experiencing it, maybe you're experiencing it. Though he gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. You're going to begin to get that teaching. God's going to be speaking to you through those normal means that he teaches and encourages. But listen to this, verse 21. Some of you need this word right now, verse 21. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it whenever you turn to the right or left, or turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying. Now we talked about this last week. But does God speak to you? Let me rephrase that. Can he speak to you? Well, we all believe he can. Will he speak to you? He told people in the Old Testament that if they turned to him, waited on him, that he would be gracious when they called. He is there. He is there. Do not give up. Do not quit. Go to him. Cry out to him. Wait on him. And he will guide you. He wants you to have an entirely different approach to life. It's not all on you. He wants you to put it all on him. 